0: This week on the Eldritch Lorecast... I want to talk about the level 20 ability Primal Champion. I'm flying a Pax Unplugged this week, it's not even next week. There's a
1: Knot Beholder on the cover of Flea Mortals, I'm like,
0: oh, yeah. do something different. Unearthed Arcana just dropping into our laps in the middle of the night. <sighs> there have been a lot of changes to The Monk. Keep trashing on the, oh, I'm just so, you, you skipped over, it, but I'm so mad about the stunning strike.
2: Are yeah. we to the point where we are past the need for
1: resource management in D&D? Why are we caring about this? It's madness, James. It's madness. This sort of change is the sort of thing that might make me really want to play Pathfinder 2E.
3: This is our olive branch to the Pathfinder fans who get mad when we talk about it wrong.
1: We now have to apologize for our apology. <laughs> the people responsible for the sacking have been sacked.
3: We're going to have to just appoint one of us as like the-, the <laughs> the resident, like, path by the
0: sheriff. That was that you. Was, <laughs> that was oh, you. Me? Yeah. <laughs> All that and more right now. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Eldritch Lorecast, the number one tabletop RPG and social media podcast in all the realms, because that's an in-joke from the preamble you won't get unless you come and watch us live on Twitch at 6pm on Mondays Eastern Standard Time, 3pm Pacific, 10am Tuesday Australian Standard Time. I'm doing it at the top of the bottom, it's all topsy-turvy, give the YouTube video a like. Anyway, my name's Ben Byrne, uh, I'm joined by Dale Kingsmill, Sean Merwin, James Hake, and James... I do not understand your strange American customs, but I am, believe I, am, uh, uh, I, I need to ask you, what is something that you are thankful for this year?
1: I am very thankful for all of you. Ah, It's hokey. You. I know, but I love my friends. And that's what I really think the spirit of Thanksgiving is. Getting all the people you care about in one room together and eating so much food. Just so much food. <laughs>
0: Do you have a good Thanksgiving? Did you enjoy Thanksgiving this year? I had an exhausting Thanksgiving.
1: Uh, I, I saw something like five different distinct family groups over the past like four days. Um, no, it was great. All people who, who I, I
0: love and respect, but I, I needed a nap for like three days afterwards. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you you uh, the US kind of has two of those, right? Because that's Australia. Uh, we have Christmas uh, for that, but we don't. Uh, you know, maybe New Year's as well. Three, if you count New Year's over there. Uh, Sean Moon, what about yourself? What's something you were thankful for this year, or are I am
2: for, or just generally uh, not to steal what what James said, but I'm thankful for all the people I've met thanks to this hobby we share. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it be students or other podcasters or fans or collaborators or peers, it's my whole life from high school to now has been meeting people through this game and it gets better and better every year, more diverse, more wonderful folks coming in and having something cool to add. And that's what I love about uh, gaming.
0: Myself as well. Maybe that's, you know, that really speaks to part of why this hobby endures so much is that it's, you know, ultimately a community Community thing. Uh, Dale, you don't um, celebrate Thanksgiving, so I'm not going to ask you. Um, anyway, yeah, no, I'm,
3: I'm un American and not thankful for anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just, we just get on with the job. We don't take a moment to stop and smell the roses or whatever the expression is. <laughs> um, uh, did you have a good weekend?
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Good. Yeah. Hung out with friends. I saw Paramore. Play in Sydney. That was a uh, good right, time. Great, so yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thankful for Paramore. It's
1: a good thing to be thankful for. <laughs>
0: yeah. I feel like I haven't yet discovered Paramore. I know I'm 10 <gasps> years, I'm sleeping 10 years on Paramore. You've got
3: a lot to look forward to.
0: Yeah, I think so. I've heard Paramore songs and I've enjoyed Paramore songs generally <laughs> when I've heard and them. And may but I've I never recommend, like into
3: don't skip over ha- Hayley Williams' solo album, Pedals for Armor." Very, very okay. good.
0: Okay. All right. I will write that down right now in my invisible notebook. Um, <laughs> uh, but genuinely, we'll check that out. Uh, I'm thankful, of course, for the community, for the Eldritch Lawcast community, Um, uh, for new listeners, if you're joining in. We have had kind of like a little bit of a growth recently, but especially thankful that I'm flying a PAX Unplugged next week, this week. It's not even next week. It's this week, uh, which is our first news item. Uh, I'm going. James, I believe you're going. Is this your – did you go last year?
1: I know. This is my first PAX Unplugged since before the pandemic, and I'm ready. I'm raring to go because – Uh, In the past, PAX Unplugged has been my favorite con of the year, and I hope it. I hope it remains that way.
0: Uh, What do you like about it? What uh, uh, Sean, you've mentioned as well that PAX feels different to Gen Con, which we went to earlier in the year. I have, in
1: the past, described it as having the sort of PAX magic. You know, there's a little bit of personal bias there because PAX West here in Seattle was my first ever convention, so there's something very special, nostalgic about that to me. But in in real concrete terms, I think the stuff that I like most about PAX Unplugged. Is that it does all the things I personally want out of a con. To me, cons mm. are about people, my friends in the industry, my peers, hearing stories about people who have played uh, things I've written, hearing how they have gone wildly off the rails and become incredibly inventive beyond what has been put on the page, and panels, hearing professionals talk about their craft. And, uh, it, you know, gaming conventions. Uh, there might be a bit of a generational gap here between me and uh, people who really like, uh, love cons like Gen Con and Origins, because I I really don't like playing games at conventions very much. No. Uh, I might play one or two, maybe like one hour games or two hour long game sessions. But, oh my gosh, I, I, I've run games for cons before. I've played games at cons before. And usually I just kind of walk out exhausted. Um yeah. I love playing games with people I know playing games with strangers often truly lovely people uh just <laughs> really takes it out of me.
0: Yes I every time I've played um at a at a PAX convention running games specifically and when I say PAX I mean PAX Australia but I've also done ArcanaCon and uh, Conquest over here. And it is a real roll of the dice. It's rare that I've ever had like a genuinely unpleasant experience at the table, but, you know, just people who prioritize, you know, they have different priorities in how they run the game. Um, uh, but that being said, for every game that that feels like it's going on a long time, there's been games that have been great and you have really fantastic yeah. groups as well. Um, but I do agree with you. Shorter shorter con games are better than, than long con games. I yeah. think it's also just a, a general anxiety that the convention's kind of happening and while the convention is happening at the table that you're playing at. There's just a feeling <laughs> of like, I've got, there's so much more to do and go see <laughs> yeah. and and people to talk to and, and other games to play. And I just, you know, getting, I, I start to get antsy uh, if I'm at one table too long. Um, mm-hmm. Sean, w- w- what's been your experience of Paxton Unplugged in the past? I've
2: only been and once. It was pre pandemic. Uh, and it was while we were sort of getting the hype train going for the, un- un- uh, unearthed <laughs> Acquisitions Incorporated book. So I Joe. got to go and, and do a little PR work. Uh, but you know, PAX is is different because it's more of a video game thing. Um, so when I went out to PAX West or PAX South that used to have in San Antonio, it had that feel like, as James was talking about, there was so much going on all over the place. You could never sit down at a table and still have a wonderful time. PAX Unplugged is a bit different because it's, it's unplugged, right? It's not the video mm. game crowd. It's the tabletop role-playing game crowd. So you can go and still go to all the panels, still see the uh, Acquisitions Incorporated show. Uh, but there are a variety of games running and a variety of, variety of vendors there. So for me, I got to play some games that I never would have played otherwise uh, because I didn't have to run any games there, but I had some hmm. free time to to sit down and play. So that was that was what I enjoyed about it. But it still has that sort of, where Gen Con, like you said, so, is sort of like the old school. I'm going to sit at this table for 12 hours and roll dice, and <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. This seems like there's a little more going on. There's a little more, a little more hype to it. Uh, sure, which, which which is good. Uh,
0: just to clarify, Boyd Dolphins asking in the chat. So Ghostfire, uh, you know James, myself, uh, and Matt uh, are all going to attend. We won't have a stall. Uh, This is all very last minute. I actually didn't know I was flying out until literally Monday last week. Um, So we won't have a stall. We won't be running any Ghostfire official games. Um, But if you do see any of us uh, or if you have someone you know going, um, uh, uh, you know, I I love to meet new people. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, James, but uh, feel free to come up and introduce yourself. Um, Definitely. Yeah, no, uh, please just, do. Uh, just d- d- don't mind my social panic as I am as I look at you blankly for a few moments going, how do I know this person? He's
3: going to be so jet-lagged as well.
0: Mm. No, no, I won't. I'll be fine. I'm looking forward to it. Four <laughs> days, four <laughs> days, and then I fly out again. It's great. Uh, let's do it. Adrenaline. I'll Couldn't be just be pumping me. off adrenaline. <laughs> um, I always have a genuine question. This is a really a me question, and maybe this is more to the chat than the panel, but is Wargaming a big thing in PAX Unplugged, or is it really only TTRPG?
1: I th- I think there's wargaming there. I'm not a huge wargamer myself, so I wouldn't say I know 100%, but I do remember seeing wargame tables in the big free play area out there.
0: Okay, okay, okay. I don't think I'll have much free time, but I'm just uh just scouting, just scouting what uh, <laughs> you know, if I if I manage to break away from a an RPG table. Um, Dale, have you ever made it, and obviously you were at Gen Con earlier this year, have you ever made it over to PAX Unplugged or one of the other PAXs I in the States? I have
3: because I, I usually <laughs> am in the States during the summer months. I, right. I, I'm i pretty Wise. much going to the same conventions every time I go over there, but I keep, oh, the desire is strong to do an <laughs> end of year trip at some point and just hit like all the, all the October, November right. sort of, uh, conventions. I, I always, mm, I've got the real FOMO this year for for Pax Unplugged because so many people that I think are cool are there, and I wish that it was me too. But I don't yeah. want to get on a plane right now.
0: No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, we'll we'll get all four of us together eventually. We'll uh, we'll, we'll do manage it sometime. That, that chemistry <laughs> okay. um, at a at a convention soon. Coming to a convention near you soon, but not super soon. That's a different thing that's happening. Um, uh, So, yeah, just uh, other quick news that's coming out of PAX Unplugged. What's the uh, Wizards of the Coast are doing a 50 years of D&D adventures panel on the Friday uh, with Jeremy Crawford, Amanda Hammond, Chris Perkins, and James Wyatt um, discussing adventures from the past and, and this is why I put it in here, a look at what's coming next year. Um, So we might get a little bit more uh, earlier. Lorecast I sort of bemoaned that we haven't seen a lot of the non- Refresh kind of uh books for next year, uh, maybe we'll get a bigger hint there um and also a rumor this is purely rumor, so don't take this as news, but just apparently there's been a little bit of a rumor that the three d vtt uh, might be getting a demo at Pax Unplugged more publicly. That makes no sense to me. they will need plugs for that, um, <laughs> but I guess we'll find out they did
2: put in the article if you want more glimpses of the future of the d be on the lookout near the D&D play area, see you in Philadelphia. So they are running games. They're running Planescape games. So if you want to get your Planescape in, you don't have a home group, they're running the first chapter of the hardcover book. And they are running Mm -hmm. an epic um, where you get to play with a whole bunch of tables in a single event that's going on. So that will be running a couple of times throughout the show as well. So you can catch that and then see if they are demoing anything in that D&D play area.
0: Are they also cuz i uh, something scratching the back of my memory which is that they've been running some of the adventures from their um what was Candlekeep Mysteries what was Tales of the Awning Portal what style of adventure was that anthology anthology, anthology. anthology yes they i i believe they said they've been running some of their uh, anthology uh, adventures at at previous conventions late in the year uh something about a, a Ravenloft one am i remembering that correctly
2: I think so at, at uh, Unplugged, they're running two old school adventures that are updated to 5th edition. They're running Tomb of Horrors, and they're mm-hmm. running uh, the Hidden Shrine of Chan.
1: Like I said earlier, I'm not a huge fan of public play games, but you know, I think I could get behind public play Tomb of Horrors. That sounds <laughs> buck wild.
0: I'd do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you just really want to leave the table crying. Also, just quick shout out. Thank you very much, Talaman, for subscribing. Uh, I appreciate that, Jeremy. I really do. Um, uh, That brings us, speaking of things that I appreciate, you know what I don't appreciate? In a very busy week, Unearthed Arcana just dropping into our laps in the middle of the night. Why does it out always of the
3: happen at just like the worst time for us? What is that?
1: <laughs> Listen, no you know, we complain every week about us being late yeah. on the news. They were trying to be nice to us. This time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, James, I'm assuming, unless Sean, you correct me, that you're the one who's read the most through it uh, among us so far. Any <laughs> anything stand out to you? I've given it a full read. Um, there are
1: a couple of things that leap out at me from when a- and how <laughs> it's uh, it's those extra hours I got on you guys um, right fair well okay. There's a couple of things that stand out to me as someone who like nitpicks the stylistic elements of the game. Like for example, spells are no longer listed as like first level conjuration; they are now level one conjurations. They've changed up some right. style. Which gotcha. is weird because it feels distinctly un d and d to me, but like whatever that's their choice um you know to, the nitpicky stuff like that aside they have been there have been a lot of changes to uh the monk, which I think is the biggest one to talk about. The monk got a lot of uh, just straight up buffs in this yeah. update, which uh, i'm I'm surprised about because i I don't feel like the monk needed any. I feel like the the monk is consistently rated as a solid class um you know, as as it, usual, it
3: depends on the circles that you're running. Anecdotally, online people firmly believe that the monk is underpowered as hell,
1: hmm. and it's
3: and and it's just deliberately being punished every time it doesn't get a buff. I think those hmm. people are wild. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just. That- because I, I feel like I feel like the monk is a glass cannon. It's a martial glass cannon. It's fulfilling that sure. role, but everyone's like, we have no hit points, and therefore, anyway, go ahead. I, I know that Ben I, has a rant. <laughs>
0: all I was gonna say was I think that those people are probably playing the monk sub level five because I think I think tier one monk with your D four, which was previously for your martial dice, and you don't have as many hit points as like a barbarian does that that i've done that before and just anecdotally on my one kind of campaign doing that i did feel underpowered especially when the ranger is putting out like a d8 plus a d8 plus dexterity plus a d6 in a single attack the
3: famously op ranger
0: um, yeah yes yeah or even a barbarian you know with their d12 yeah. plus strength and plus rage you damage you know
3: like that i think i think for me part of it is that i think that it is doing a fairly decent job of fulfilling the fantasy of hard to hit Right. So job. I don't think the point is, yeah, I don't know when, when people complain about not having enough hit points to me, I'm like, but the point is that you're just hard to hit. And I think it successfully does that because it gives you a decently high AC. And then you also have abilities that allow you to dodge beyond that. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's not about hitting hard. It's about hitting a lot and hitting, um, with effects, which I feel like stunning strike achieves, Uh the, the martial arts ability achieves because you are hitting more times than a fighter at a similar level, even if the mm. fighter is doing more damage. Um,
1: mm. I'm think not that- disagreeing
3: with you. It's just the the
0: ongoing. No, no, no. And I agree with you, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, one Agreed. of the things, one of the monk <laughs> changes that happened, uh, I'm going to ignore the fact that Stunning Strike got a mild buff <sighs> because, <sighs> you know, Stunning Strike is their most powerful ability. I'm surprised they got it. But I, one of the changes that I really, really like is that Deflect Missiles has been Expanded to include melee attacks too. Because that's a good way of buffing their defenses. It <laughs> leans into their core fantasy of hard to hit, right, Dale? Uh and it makes it so that instead of just like, you know, catch the arrow, you can also you then sort of
0: and just throw yeah, in you can like face judo again. throw them, which
1: feels very <laughs> much like, yeah, that's the martial artist right there. Um so you know, uh at the end of the day, we there's also, only so many the ways- record. Yeah,
3: We have trainer Jody in chat, certified monk enthusiast. So we're going to get some great (laughs) feedback today.
1: Hell yeah. I'm going to move off of the monk.
0: Wait, wait, no, no, not yet. Uh, Sorry, we keep interrupting you. you. Keep trashing on the, oh, I'm just so, you you skipped over it, but I'm so mad about the Stunning Strike, James. I'm so (laughs) mad about it. For those who haven't read the Unearthed Arcana yet, basically, Stunning Strike, you punch him. Or you hit, oh no, I guess you have to punch him. Is it an arm strike only with stunning strike? It could be a monk weapon. Okay. And then they take damage from the weapon and then they roll to see if they're stunned or not. And if they succeed the roll, they take like a miniature smite because at tier two, it's a D8 plus your wisdom modifier, uh, which is almost in certain circumstances better than being stunned because there's no better condition you want your enemy to have than dead. Um, and so, you know, while arguably if they get stunned and they've only got a f- small amount of hit points left, you can just hit them again and then they'll go down because it'll be easy because they're stunned, but stunning strike, didn't, it, it just, it didn't need that buff. And I get the, the argument that you don't want, uh, the null result of like you roll and you miss, so nothing happens, but that doesn't happen because you already hit with your weapon attack. You're already doing damage. So it's not a null result. And then you have a contest and then, if your enemy succeeds the contest, nothing happens. That's how contests. Oh my works. god! Wait,
1: wait. Sorry, I've cracked it. This is why Stunning Strike got changed. It's now once per turn. That's oh, the big change. What that's just that's, said in the chat. that's <laughs> why it rebates you damage. Ugh, I still don't obviously. Like it. S- duh. Uh, that's that's the thing that drives me wild. Like Hog Wild as a DM is when the monk in my party is like Stunning Strike. Oh, it whiffed. Stunning Strike. Oh, it whiffed. Stunning strike. It's like okay, cool. Yeah, so yeah, do yeah. you have another note to play? Uh, yeah. No, I think stunning strike going to once return is fantastic, and with that in mind, actually, now that I've seen that portion, I really like the little damage rebate because uh, I do, I'm not much of a fan of the null result. I I like a little bit of a consolation prize when that's your. Right. Like monks don't get extra attack at fifth level. Oh, no, they totally do. Never mind. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the idea. They get heaps of attacks. They
1: get extra attack at first level. It's called Flurry of Blows. And and now they've decoupled the bonus action attack from actually taking the attack action. So you can do something with your action and then still go at the end of it.
0: I guess for me, I mean, this is the same thing with The Barbarian is they talked about like, uh, I watched a little bit of that 40 minute video. I didn't get the whole way through. I apologize. I have neglected my journalistic duty, Um, but uh, journalistic, Um, but I, you know, they they gave The Barbarian a rage back on a short rest and their reason for doing so seemed to be that every other core class gets something back on a short rest and The Barbarian doesn't. So I guess we'll just, I don't know, give him a rage back. And it's like, just don't even have charges for rage at this point. Like barbarians want to use it every time they're in combat. It's not a choice if they've always got a charge to use. So just give them unlimited charges if that's what you want to do. I actually
3: super agree with that. Yeah. Is that terrible of me? Like, I mean, <laughs> you can, you can still keep the.
0: He's agreeing with Ben bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: new video coming soon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it feels like because if you can't rage there's there's you've you've lost your character fantasy so there's no point in it so it, the dm is always trying to design the adventuring day so that you will be able to rage every time anyway cuz i think I I like to believe most DMs want you to be having a good time. I don't know. Mm. Maybe that's just Mm. me. Um, And I just feel like, I mean, if you want to, you can keep your your various, um, you know, take an exhaustion point uh, after you've raged stuff because then maybe that'll come into play more often. But I just think there's, I have literally no issue with the Barbarian being able to rage every single combat.
1: Having played a lot of Baldur's Gate lately, uh, my main... Uh, limiting factor for whether or not Carlack goes into a rage is usually do I have a bonus action to spare at the start of combat or would I rather do something else with it? No, I think, I think having constant rage is great.
2: Are, are we? I think having constant rage is great. That's going to be written on my tombstone. That's why I'm on Twitter so much. <laughs> but Are we to the point where we are past the need for resource management in D&D? We already have the uh, action economy that limits us. We're trying to balance this, not only within a class, but between the classes. Is it time to just let the players do what they want to do all the time?
1: <laughs> That's the sort of choice that I would say deserves a sixth edition, legitimately. That's yeah. a kind of fundamental change to the fabric of D&Ds. I'm like, yeah, new edition time.
3: Honestly, it's the first idea in a while that I've been kind of excited by. Because I'm also <laughs> sitting here, I'm like, okay, what if you could just wild shape... <laughs> as many times as you want. And that seems, I, again, pretty buck wild. But like, I don't know, I'm sure we've talked about before tying it to things like spell slots, the way that Smite is, where it's just like, you have as many opportunities as you have spells, use it whenever you want. Um, I don't know. I,
0: maybe just I, let I mean, people
3: do the thing, maybe. I,
0: I- I think, that's a, I think that's an exciting prospect. For me, uh, it's funny that uh, you bring up Boulder's Gate because I've just gotten Karlak as a, as a party member on a second playthrough. I didn't have them before. Um, and so I've got a Barbarian for the first time and Karlak is a monster. I absolutely love how she basically single-handedly took down a whole group of Red Caps while the rest of the party members were just picking themselves up off the ground constantly. Um, but the choice to rage or not for me is typically like, is this going to be a long fight? Am I better off just smiting with her because she gets that tiefling uh, uh, smite? Uh, I think it's um, the, the fire one mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and conserve the rage. And for me, like resource management as a game mechanic is making a choice, right? It's, uh, you know, playing games is making choices between, you know, different options and strategizing which choice is better or which story path you want to go down. And if you're just taking that choice away for it to to always be on, that to me makes it less interesting and if there's no risk because they're always going to get something for it that to, it's just like flattening the stakes flattening the stakes flattening the stakes right down to me um and, and that was the point i was kind of coming to earlier is with this you know monk getting conciliary damage and with the barbarian having constant access to rage it's just this slow buffing that the the player characters have been getting that it just feels like well, what's the what? Where's the challenge here? Where's well, with the- at
3: least some of this is a thing that I learned from Justin Alexander when I had him on my channel recently. He he made mm. a really good point about you know we we want to give players choice because choice is interesting, but sometimes that choice isn't a real choice. Like, do you want to rage rage and get all these benefits that you get with rage, or do you want to not rage? And it's just like that's not a real choice because rage is always a better option. And if you are able to rage at every opportunity, which at this stage, they pretty much are anyway. Mm. Why not? Why not, Rage? So at that stage, just make it be not a choice because it wasn't a choice anyway. It was it was fake. It was a fake choice.
2: What you do is you give choices based on action economy, not on resources that are limited. And then sure. you still have the choice. You then have to balance those options against each other as you develop the game, rather than saying, well, how many times per short rest? How many times per long rest? What does that... You can get rid of that balance and do the balance just on that on that level of, mm. of uh, action economy. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not right or wrong. It becomes mm. a slightly different game, but it becomes more cinematic. I think someone in the chat may have mentioned the, the indie movie where the druid is wild shaping over and over and over again. One of my, my she favorite scenes. And yeah, and it's cool. And we want to be able to do that, except the game tells us we can't. And if we're if if that's what we're fighting against now, if we're fighting against the old Vancyan you only have a limited amount and it works for this story, but does it really work for people that are coming in via video games, via movies, via TV shows? A little less so.
1: Well, Roman brings up a good point in chat, and it's about the narrative intent of D D. D&D throughout most of its history has been a resource management game, and I think OSR retro clones like Five Torches Deep and stuff like that really embrace that because the core fantasy of those games was you're a bunch of weak losers getting in way over their heads. and You've got way more courage than sense and skill. And you are trying to get you're trying to get rich quick in an extremely dangerous environment. And so you have to keep really close track of every last ounce of power you have, because once you run out, if you've misjudged the amount of power you have to spend, then you're screwed trying to get out with your haul. And if the game is really about fighting gods and demons then you know tracking torches off of your character sheet or you know tracking rages off your character sheet is is no longer a a match between the mechanics of the game and the narrative of the game. Speaking of choices though, there's one change to the barbarian that I really, really like, and it's the removal of Brutal Critical and its replacement mm. with um, what's it called now? Uh Brutal Strike. Where yeah, so brutal. Uh, so uh, when you reckless attack as a barbarian, you gain advantage on all your attack rolls until the next turn, and enemies get all advantage on attack rolls against you until your next turn. Uh, at level nine, you can forego the advantage that that would give you in order to uh, deal additional damage or, uh, and deal one extra sort of effect. And you get more effects as you level up, so it's kind of a light battle master system for the core barbarian. I um, like
3: that.
1: Which is, it includes things like pushing, reducing enemy speed, uh, disadvantage on its next attack roll uh, or next saving throw, no opportunity attacks, um, bonuses to the next to your next allies' attack against it. Feels uh, more tactical. It's much more tactical, but you, But it doesn't have to be because you mm-hmm. are giving up a simple option in order to gain the tactical option, which is advantage on, uh, on an attack roll. I really like that. It makes a barbarian more than a I hit it machine. It's um, an hmm.
3: interesting choice. Also, I mean, I'm on record being against like passive boosts to criticals because mm. I am that person who always forgets when I get the crit.
2: Huh. Mm-hmm. And that rule. Does it talk about if you already have advantage?
1: If if you use Reckless Attack, you can forego advantage on the next attack roll you make on your turn with a strength based attack. So I think okay, it would so, just be you don't use Reckless Attack if you've already got an advantage.
0: Well, I think I think specifically you because when you use Reckless Attack, all attacks against you have advantage, right? Mm-hmm. So if you already have advantage because somebody's cast, um, let's say, Guiding Bolt on the creature. Mm-hmm. You would choose to use this, you'd get advantage from the Guiding Bolt, and you would be able to, let's say, push the creature, but everybody has advantage against you because you use Reckless Attack.
1: No, Sean, you raise a really interesting point because this is based on the new change to Reckless Attack where it's now all of your attacks because if you make an opportunity attack off turn against a character, against a fleeing monster you still have advantage from reckless attack, but if that monster was guiding bolted or something, uh, then you could potentially have two two instances of advantage possibly caused by a reckless attack you made not intending to attack that creature initially. And right. since, in 5e, as far as I can tell, advantage and disadvantages are flattened down into universal instances forgoing any advantage due to reckless attack would forego all advantage due to Right, Because it doesn't say, if you use Reckless Attack, you can Mm -hmm. forgo advantage. It doesn't say you can forgo the advantage granted by Reckless Attack. It's advantage is all or nothing, and you can forgo it if you have used Reckless Attack. Which is the sort of use case where as a DM, would say, you've got advantage from somewhere else, go for it. (laughs) But it is not supported by raw.
2: Yeah, I don't think the rules as written mean that. Or if they do, they Mm -hmm. they don't specifically spell it out. So, just a... Well, okay, everybody in the uh, surveys, make sure you <laughs> put, what does this mean?
1: Because I'm not going to be filling it out.
3: We need clarifying language.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm
3: not gonna do as I say, not as I do.
1: <laughs> I want to talk about the level 20 ability Primal Champion and also the Monk's level 20 ability. Primal Champion, it's just like the player's handbook, basically, with one interesting change that took me some investigating to understand. Your strength and constitution scores increased by four, and their maximum is now 26. Not 24, 26. And they're like, what? Why? And it's because later on, once you reach 19th level, your ability score caps increase to 22. Okay. <laughs> why? Why 22? If you've got godlike power at 19th level, why not 30? Monsters get 30. What, what are they doing?
0: What are they talking about? Is that a is that a general change that everybody? Because I'm just looking at it now. Everybody gets that. that yeah, so ability. it's under
1: the ability score improvement feat. It's a feat now, which I think is fine. That makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, basically, when it, it, the ability score improvement feat now says you can increase your ability scores up to 20 by doing this, except once you hit 19th level, you can increase it up to 22. I don't God know, cap. man. Just to, just raise the cap to thirty when you've reached the godlike power <laughs> of twentieth level. Like, why are we, why why are we caring about yeah. this? It's madness, James. It's madness. If what
2: you're talking, <laughs> next, you're going to say thirty one. I know what <laughs> I know how this works. When
3: does it stop? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it never well, stops. Well, I guess, I guess th- this is like an extremely rare, probably would never actually happen, except if somebody was doing a meme build of a wizard or something but it's to ensure that the strength is coming from the class and kind of makes sense. The Barbarian can get to a max of 26, but the Wizard can't get to a max of 26 Strength specifically, um, which, again, probably would never happen unless somebody was doing a weird Wizard build. Um, or if somebody multi let's say, from Barbarian into something else, you know, they won't get that 20th level buff to be able to get to that 26th. Um, so... That, that that that's my assumption
3: uh we've got horrible cabbage in chat by the way saying that the commentary on the D beyond page says at ninth level when barbarians gain brutal strike they can forego the advantage granted by reckless attack to gain an extra 1d10 of the weapons damage and additional effects which clarifies huh. the advantage granted by reckless attack but huh. we still huh. need to mention in the survey that
0: yeah. that
3: clarification needs to yeah. <laughs> make mm-hmm. it into the text
0: if you use reckless attack, you can forego advantage on the next attack roll you make on your turn with a strength-based attack. If that attack hits, the target takes an extra d one d ten damage of the same type dealt by the weapon's unarmed strike, and you can cause uh, b- dealt by the weapon or unarmed strike, and you can cause one brutal strike to affect uh, one brutal strike effect of your choice. So I think in that language, it does clarify it's on your turn. And that turn language and is so smooth and use- easy
3: to grasp. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> I was trying to read it as quickly as possible. Uh,
3: (laughs) I don't think that was uh, you. I I think think, I generally... Okay, so this is just a tip for anyone at university writing essays. Whenever (laughs) I was writing an essay, I would read what I'd written out loud, and if you stumble over it, it probably means it needs some editing.
0: I just wanted to give some brief love to the Path of the World Tree. I know that's not new. That was in a previous Unearthed Arcana. I thought it was cool. The one issue I have with it is Branches of the Tree, uh, which is a level 6 ability which allows you to grow branches from the tree to bring... Uh, is it that one? Or sorry, am I thinking of a different one?
3: No, that brings. a bit. No,
0: it's branches. Uh, to bring party members close to you, or you can send enemies far or do whatever you want with... Uh, no, no, you have to bring them close to you. So you can bring enemies within range, or you can bring party members close to you for protection or whatever. I think it's a super cool evocative ability. My problem with it, it doesn't specify size. So it's like, can I just rip a... a you know, ancient dragon out of the sky and bring it right next to me. That feels a little, a little incongruous for a sixth level ability.
3: I love that your expression of love for the world tree, Barbarian, <laughs> is a criticism. What's yeah. your love language? Criticism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> People often talk about 5e as having light role playing mechanics or no free, for- free form role playing mechanics. I've heard this said a lot. 5e's RP is free form. There is no mechanical underpinning to it. Uh, There is. There's a lot of mechanical underpinning to it. It's in the Dungeon Master's Guide, and it's about three states of attitude that NPCs have towards you, hostile, indifferent, and uh, friendly. And if you're playing 5e by the book, uh, that is how you interact with NPCs. Um, And I legitimately think it's a fairly lightweight and good uh, rule of thumb for DMs to have at at their beck and call. It's just been tucked away in the Dungeon Master's Guide which no one reads, uh, and so no one knows about it unless they, uh, <laughs> unless they, as I did in 2018 or something, accidentally make Dan Dillon mad by saying 5e has freeform role-playing mechanics. Uh, so there's now a new action in here, influence. Uh, you can influence with charisma checks NPCs to change their attitude. That's always been in the game, but it's been changed to being a player-facing option rather than being hidden in the DMG. I think that's a fantastic change. It, hmm. it elucidates the role-playing mechanics to the people who are actually going to be using them, and like they're just as easily ignored if you prefer kind of talking everything out. Um, but suddenly, a whole pillar of the game, the social pillar of the game, makes more sense to the people who are going to be interacting with it. I really like it.
0: Well, speaking of influence. You know Arcana
3: unearthed. <laughs> That's what we should say every time we're done talking about it.
0: Just all all together. Um don't
3: Arcana Unearthed. Yeah. Congrats. We did it.
0: <laughs> we did it. Speaking of unearthing things, uh, they dug up Chris Pine to interview him about uh the p- potential future of the DD movie. Um, and he says maybe there'll be a sequel. He seems pretty positive about it. This doesn't really seem like news, but I just thought, would we like a sequel to the D&D movie? What would we like in a sequel to the D&D movie? That was a good movie.
2: You know what? You know what we have is this video game that people really love and that (laughs) uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was some sort of movie where the characters that we're already familiar with go to Baldur's Gate and that area and start interacting with maybe some npcs that are well loved or even some plot points and then create an adventure that people can play at home that relate to that and then you vertical can,
1: integration you, baby mm, mm-hmm. yes it's the holy grail
2: because a lot of players i'm familiar with you know they want to feel part of the community and the community mm. is now more than just your home group it's everybody online. It's the books. It's the movies. It's it's everything. And the more you, that you can share that joy with everyone, the tighter the community will be.
1: I agree. That's all I, got. I mean, yeah, I I I have my frustrations with you know corporate style cinematic universe vertical integration. I think it can turn turn sour really fast. But like,
3: see the I, Matrix.
1: Uh, I I I really like the idea of the world feeling whole. That's kind of a, a challenge I've had with the Forgotten Realms for a while, even with the current sort of mega focus on only the Sword Coast. It's like all of this stuff is happening and no one cares. It's, it's happening in its own little world and, you know, nothing talks to anything else. So, so having a little, bit of, a little bit of like acknowledgement that, hey, look at that thing that happened over there. Here's, you know, here's Carlack hanging out in Baldur's Gate. Uh, I think it would be neat.
3: It also serves that feeling that I think they are trying to engender that feeling of like, this is a big world where amazing things are happening all the time to so many different people. And so you can have those things weave in and out of each other without having to make it be about that, which I Mm. think is fun. I like
0: that. In the next D&D movie, it's uh, a starry and gets tripped over by Chris Pine and everybody goes, oh, it's a starry and that's like the cameo, some dude in a white wig. If they
1: make a second D&D movie, I legitimately hope that they don't bring back uh, any of the cast from the first movie except as cameos. Oh, okay, I lo- that I was them an interesting question. Intriguing. I love them all, but their I... character stories are done. They've resolved their conflicts. We don't need to give them
0: a whole set they of new conflicts.
3: They can find a new conflict.
0: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> You would say you would prefer an anthology <laughs> I've been anthology agreeing with style. too many
3: people today, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I don't know. I liked those characters. I, I would. I would. Lo- I, I agree with you, but I would like to see them again. Um, mm. and, and that was, you know, sort of part of this news was Pine was asked directly, "Would he return?" He said, mm. "If he was asked, absolutely." Um, again, this is all like some interviewer <laughs> yeah, was like- I love asked, that
3: this news is just, uh, yeah, maybe uh, it'd yeah, yeah, good, yeah, well, it would be good,
0: wouldn't it? Fundamentally, yes. But, you know, uh, I have hope. I'm going to watch that on the plane over, I think, again, just to get myself in the mood. because Turbo uh, it's KKV,
3: it's not me who's agreeable today. It's everyone else who's agreeable today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, uh, speaking of being agreeable, uh, Sean Merwin, we all agree- that uh, you are responsible for a great product that got released uh, last week that you weren't here to talk to. Mm. Uh, but please, this week, speak to Peril in Pinebrook, the, the free adventure that was released for beginner players. Good name. Mm-hmm. Ah, Thank you. Uh, so
2: this product, I, you did a great job talking about it. Uh, I don't have a heck of a lot to add in terms of who it's for because you said it right out. This is not for d and players. This is for people who may be, at some point in the future, want to be D&D players. But to go one step further, this is not for DMs. This is for people who are hoping to be DMs. So when it was designed, it was designed specifically with three things in mind. This is going to be going into schools to be used by, A, people who probably have never played D&D before or have access to any of the books or rules, B, who may be age 12 or younger. And AB3, who probably didn't <laughs> have time to read over this product ahead of time. So I see a club leader or a teacher say, hey, Sally, you like stuff and you're really smart. Here, run this for your classmates and handing this to Sally. And poor Sally, mm-hmm. you know, what Sally gonna do? Sally's very smart. Sally's going to be a great DM, but Sally doesn't know where to start. So we made this product specifically as a primer for somebody who has no idea what D&D is, has no idea what role-playing games are, have no idea what the back and forth of the game is going to be. So this leads them through it step by step by step. And it definitely pulls rules out of 5th edition to make things go more smoothly for people who are trying to teach a game that they are learning at the exact same time that they are trying to teach the game. Uh, no ability scores, because I have been at tables where people are trying to teach new players about the game, and what do they do? They feel the need to explain everything. What strength, sure. what's intelligence, what's wisdom? In the long run, that matters. But for sitting down to play a game for an hour, it doesn't. Uh, saving throws, we didn't need those. You're going to attack. If you hit, great. If you miss, that's too bad. But we're not going to get into saving throws. So, my the challenge of designing this was what is the thing? I what are the things I can pull out? Still have it be D anD D, but take away that uh, cognitive load that would be on the DMs and the players. And I could have gone further. I could have probably gone a little less far, but the character sheet I think gets across the point of of what a fun game of D&D would be for for people and what the flow of the game is.
1: It is so yeah, cool to a- look at that adventure and see those stat blocks that are like four lines long. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I wouldn't want to run a long-term campaign like that. I like the tactical options mm-hmm. of D&D too much, but like if I'm introducing my mom to d d or if I'm introducing, you know, like a, a class, a club of, you know, 10-year-olds to d d Hell yes, absolutely.
3: Yeah. Especially because I think um, lots of us who've run for completely fresh newbie players know that even if you're not creating your own character, handing someone a pre-generated character sheet doesn't make that sheet decipherable to someone who is absolutely sure. you know what I mean mm-hmm. you're saying I'm going to need you to roll a stealth check and then you have to explain where that is on the character sheet hmm. what that means what you're adding to it what you're rolling it's this is absolutely I think a necessary uh, sort of stepping stool for, for people who are mm-hmm. getting into the game for the first time yeah.
2: mm-hmm. particularly and so people. Kids. some people were asking why isn't on D&D Beyond because it's not for people who are on D&D Beyond
3: why isn't, this, so
2: you know, you. why isn't this being sent out to all? Because it's not meant to be sent out. Uh, I, I already am getting people saying, well, this isn't really D&D. You didn't put in blah, blah, blah. Or the, the first rule zero, I put rule zero being have fun and make changes to make sure everyone has fun. And yeah. people are like, that's not rule zero. Rule zero is the DM is always right. That's rule zero. <laughs> and, and what's fun? What's fun? Really? People should know that playing D and D isn't always fun. I was getting feedback like that. And I'm like, yes, let's, as we teach this brand new hobby to someone, let's tell them, you know, this isn't always going to be fun. like, <laughs> so, Hey, let's play golf. Oh, by the way, you're going to be miserable about 40% of the time. <laughs> yeah. You you want to learn to paint? Oh, it's going to be terrible. It's not going to be fun all the time. Yeah, that's how you want to introduce people. So that's why it was kept away from uh, the, the main d and community because sure. it's got its own function. Uh, we have our own toys set here.
0: There was definitely a version of the thumbnail and the episode title last week which was going to be like, this adventure is not for you, and a big cross mm. through peril in Pinebrook. <laughs> But I thought that might have come across as unkind. to Peril in Pinebrook, there's there's a balancing act with uh, the YouTube algorithm. You've got to strike. It's very true. Uh, you, you've
3: been you've been going in on those thumbnails, though. Can we just say out loud? Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, your your Discord complained when I started making it too clickbaity. I was like. Look, it's not for you. You're already a fan. This is for the new <laughs> fans of the Eldritch Law cast.
3: I also like uh, Oral Cabbages' uh, wording regarding Paralyn Pinebrook. They say, if you know what's missing from it, then it's not for you.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm. Good call. Good, good. Um, I threw a link. I'm just going to do it again because it got kind of lost and I didn't give any context when I put the link in the chat, but I've just put a link to the chat into it if people want to use it to <laughs> teach That's new no players. There's no
3: crying in D&D. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Oh, they haven't played at my table. Um, <laughs> that's right. But that's for people who have played the game. They get more experienced at it. Um, so, yeah, there's a link. I'll throw a link down below as well uh, if folks want to check it out, if they have, you know, uh, young young budding gamers or yep. new people they want to introduce to the hobby. Uh, and in the meanwhile, speaking of things that don't have ability scores, neither does Pathfinder anymore because the new core rules have released uh, for Pathfinder. They As far as I'm aware, player core and uh gm core the new core books for the pathfinder second edition refresh are now on shelves um and they have so go check them out if you want to try pathfinder they seem like a great place to start um the interesting news tidbit here apart from a product release being that they have stripped it all of every DD uh reference and legacy content they can think of No more owlbears, no more drow, no more magic schools. Gone. Tiefling and are kind of rolled into the Nephilim. Uh, Dragon types are now tied to Pathfinder magic sources of primal, occult, divine, and arcane, which I actually think is really cool because I I like the lore of dragons in D&D, but I don't like people getting hung up on the lore of dragons in D&D as being the way dragons are. Um, But they've even changed, you know, mechanical things, as I just mentioned, they've removed ability scores entirely and replaced them with just the simple modifiers that range from negative five to plus five, Um, uh, which is cool. Uh, Is anybody, I'm going to assume not, but has anybody checked this out or?
1: I think it's awesome that Pathfinder exists. One of these days, I'm going to play second edition Pathfinder and I'm probably going to have a really wonderful time. But, you know. Today is not that day.
3: Damned with faint praise. (laughs) No, I've already got a
1: relatively compelling fantasy RPG I like and know in depth. You know? I I don't know. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe I'll have a Pathfinder revolution someday where someone, who knows?
3: Here's, here's the thing. Uh, Colville once said, why would I play that fantasy game when I already like the fantasy game that I've got, right? Mm-hmm. Worth noting that he's currently writing a <laughs> fantasy game. Um, right. So I think there is an acknowledgement that we're in an era where uh, a lot of people are becoming bored and listless with their fantasy game of choice and probably are moving to other systems. So, uh, you know, power to him. power to him.
0: Yeah, look, mm-hmm. I, I threw this on here, knowing that none of us are, are diehard Pathfinder fans because, you know, ideally we want to cover more than just 5th edition D&D. We want to be the number one tabletop RPG podcast mm-hmm. uh, in all the realms. And we try to cover Candela, obs- uh, Candela Obscura and we've ca- covered MCDM in the past. So while we don't have a lot to say on this topic, do know that these <laughs> changes have occurred and I think it's great. Uh, I, I, I enjoy I- the changes that I've heard and I will give Pathfinder a go in, in undoubtedly...
3: Yeah. I, I also am definitely uh, tempted to to look in on this new, new Pathfinder just because I felt like I missed the boat a little bit on 2E and John. it got to the point where, and, and I just, I do remember getting into Pathfinder the first time and the investment that that was. So that kind of held me off jumping in on 2E, but I mean, if I'm getting it on the ground floor... <laughs> <laughs> and, like,
1: legitimately this sort of change is the sort of thing that might make me really want to play pathfinder 2e right like okay so again i've been playing a lot of Baldur's gate i tried playing divinity original sin 2 probably about a year before Baldur's right. gate came out and i you know i had a good time and i bounced off of it but now that I'm kind of in the thick of the way that Larian makes games, I'm really compelled by another fantasy universe that has a similar style, but a different approach to world building and storytelling. Um, now that I've done a lot of D&D stuff uh, and Pathfinder has made a pretty clean break from a lot of the iconic elements of d and it might be a big enough change to be like, okay, yeah, that's a strong reason for me to not play d and in favor of this game. Yeah, Mm. totally.
0: I I mean, a a few people on Twitter, uh, Mr. Rex in particular, had a tweet that was being kind of circulated by folks with differing contentious opinions. Uh, But he was, you know, sad that they had removed things like Owlbear and Drow, these things that he really enjoyed about the lore um, of the fantasy world in which he was playing that have now been taken out of Pathfinder, not natively in there anymore. Of course, you know no one's going to knock on his no paiso lawyers lawyer is going to knock on his door if he features a an owl bear in his home game. He doesn't have an owl stat block anymore. He's going to have to homebrew it himself, in theory, um, or just use the owl bear stat block that was in the previous monster uh, book that out, that Pathfinder had, undoubtedly. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I, I understand that sentiment of like missing the things that you feel have been uh, kind of stripped out of your preferred system. But I also like that it's diversifying the options that people have if they don't want to play in the Forgotten Realms. I did want to ask, and this might sound like a sardonic question, and I don't intend it to at all, but what are the unique things to Galarian that, uh, you know, like owlbears, like a drow, like uh, those mind flayers, those iconic kind of D&D things, what has Pathfinder got in there that people can discover? Uh, None of us here know the answer. Leave a kind comment. Please. They have fantasy <laughs> America.
1: Right. Fantasy okay. America. They have fantasy place where a spaceship crashed. They have fantasy place where you can be Pathfinder Kingmaker. Uh, like oh, this is the thing about Pathfinder that I've always kind of struggled with from a core setting approach. And it's that, you know, it's it's deeply inspired by D&D in a way that I would say, okay. Everything's deeply inspired by D anD D, right? Like World of Warcraft sure. is deeply the, the Elder Scrolls, you know, all those big ones are D anD D at the core. Pathfinder, I think, is is the least step away from them, or at least its first edition was. Um, and it's to the point where I, I understand the the argument that folks are making about like, well, what's left? And and it's true. I have no idea what's left. What what is left that isn't kind of a hollow. Please interpret this charitably. That isn't a hollow <laughs> imitation of something that, that D&D also does. Um, like I, I feel this way about, about Flea Mortals sometimes, right? There, there's a there's, a there's a not beholder on the cover of Flea Mortals. I'm like, oh yes. Do yes. something different. Uh, <laughs> like just memo- because its <laughs> eyes float around it doesn't mean it's not a beholder. Uh, fair enough,
3: fair enough. I mean it is I yeah. And I suppose, especially in regards to monsters, there is that element, right? Where it's like, these are just the same monsters, but this is our version of that monster. And yeah, I do mm-hmm. agree with that to some degree, both with MCDM and with uh, and with Pathfinder. I will say, for me and and Mentap Muse in uh, in the chat is saying basically what I was thinking, which is that the mythology and the the culture and the religion, I think, in Galarian feels much uh, more substantial. It feels like there mm. is a culture that you can learn gotcha. about. It like it makes it makes the setting to me, a little bit more worthwhile investing in than the Forgotten Realms. I still mm. ran Pathfinder in my own setting, but I didn't have to go to the trouble of creating my own pantheon, right? Mm. I, I felt like that pantheon was strong enough to kind of stand on its own in a way that I never cared to learn about the gods in D&D. I never cared to learn about the, the, the deep cultural history of Waterdeep because it feels like miscellaneous fantasy city. Like to me, there is no substantial difference between Waterdeep, and any of the other cities that I can't remember the names of in the Forgotten Realms.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's there you go. That's something to go on. Um,
1: the, okay, here's, here's a distinction I would make. The Forgotten Realms are fantasy soup, but Galarian is fantasy patchwork. Galarian has so many yeah. genres in it, and they're yes. all very sort of like the borders of each country define where one genre ends and another one begins. Sure, Whereas fantasy, so. you know, Forgotten Realms just kind of has all the tropes kind of running all the time. Yeah, gotcha
0: gotcha. Okay, cool. Um well, look, if there's never been a better time to get into Pathfinder, I suppose, if you want to go, I suppose. There's never been a better time to get into Pathfinder if you want to go uh, pick up those books. This is going great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is us making an effort.
1: <laughs> we're we're going to really convince this those people who think we don't like This is to the Pathfinder Panther. fans who get
3: mad when we talk about it wrong. <laughs> we this still is the olive branch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we still get comments on that infamous episode. The have a
3: <laughs> We're doing our
2: best. <laughs>
0: we now have to apologise for our apology. <laughs>
1: the people responsible for the sacking have been sacked
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's only because we're scared that's why we come up as sardonic
3: trepidation is so real
0: my sister's Um, been there we're gonna have
3: to We're gonna have to just appoint one of us as like the 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 resident like pathfinder sheriff. That was
0: you. (laughs) you. That was you. Yeah, (laughs) you're the only one who's paid. Well, as far as I know, the only one who's really invested in a pathfinder before. Um, Or Dante. We'll have to get Dante. But I'm already
3: resident contract sheriff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's fair. You you can be (laughs) sheriff of two things. Yeah, Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, speaking of being, uh, speaking of amazing things, uh, like Pathfinder, just letting folks know as a reminder, Enchanting Emporiums is still up on Kickstarter. Uh, thank you so much to people who have backed so far. We've almost hit, in fact, we might have, by the time you're hearing this, hit 300k, uh, within the first sort of week and a bit. Um, we hit 200k almost in the first 24 hours. So that was really exciting. Um, if you're interested in, uh, you know what, James, you give the pitch, you worked on the book. Enchanting
1: Emporiums, folks. A book of magic item shops. They're enthralling shopkeepers and new magic items. You've got prefab plot hooks for DMs who want to keep magic items fresh and flowing in your campaigns. And you have all sorts of magic items for players to put on their wish list. It's it's fun for the whole family.
0: Go check it out. Link uh, down below. Um, don't sue me, Mac Holville. It's in the doobly-doo. Um, and you can also check it out. Uh, Sean, if you point directly upwards... There'll be a link right there. There it'll be.
1: I think Matt Um, Coble took it from the Vlog Brothers, so you're fine.
0: Yeah, it's a tradition now.
3: And I think the Vlog Brothers took it from someone else.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, great. I won't feel bad then. (laughs) Just to answer Delport uh, Breckland's question in the chat, we do try to take questions as often as possible. I, I, the reason I don't take a lot of questions from the chat during stream is because I don't want to interrupt the person talking uh, at any given time. As you've
3: noticed today, I've been taking a lot from chat and interrupting everybody.
0: (laughs) Which is great. Uh, We enjoy taking questions from chat. If you're asking about email questions, apologies to the emailers. I did have emails ready to go this week. The Unearthed Arcana kind of pushed them out of the episode. Uh, But next week, we definitely have some emails coming up because it'll be pre-recorded anyway. We could maybe just up the pre-record as a stream so we're going to be doing a lot of uh, emails because uh, i won't be here to film it because i'll be fl- on a plane dale where should people send emails to if they want to send emails i
3: believe that they should send them to podcast at ghostfiregaming.com
0: very very good um <laughs> james if people are listening to this on youtube what what, what could they do that would really help the, the podcast continue to grow
1: Hey, what up, listeners? It's me, your boy. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe.
0: (laughs) I'm going to get you to do that more often. Um,
3: Smash that subscribe button. Smash that like button.
0: (laughs) Uh, Sean, what time are we streaming (laughs) usually? We are usually
2: streaming at 6 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. 3, wait, 3 p.m., uh... The, the other coast in the U.S. the left coast, <laughs> and I believe it's 10 a.m. the following day, so that would be Tuesday morning, Australian time. Right. Sure got just, the hottest
3: question. Yeah. Bye.
0: Goodbye. See ya. See ya.